Article 29 follows two other articles specifically focused on uh, the church. Article 27, the Catholic Christian Church, where that's defined. Article 28 specifies everyone's duty to join the church. Then Article 29 follows, and that's on page 511, the Book of Praise. I'd like to read along. Article 29 of the Belgic Confession. Here the church confesses, we believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully from the word of God what is the true church. For all sects which are in the world today claim for themselves the name of church. We are not speaking here of the hypocrites who are mixed in the church along with the good and yet are not part of the church, although they are outwardly in it. We are speaking of the body and the communion of the true church, which must be distinguished from all sects that call themselves the church. The true church is to be recognized by the following marks. It practices the pure preaching of the gospel. It maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It exercises church discipline for correcting and punishing sins. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and regarding Jesus Christ as the only head. Hereby, the true church can certainly be known and no one has the right to separate from it. Those who are of the church may be recognized by the marks of Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ, the only Savior, flee from sin and pursue righteousness, love the true God and their neighbor without turning to the right or left, and crucify their flesh and its works. Although great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their life. They appeal constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in him. The false church assigns more authority to itself and its ordinances than to the word of God. It does not want to submit itself to the yoke of Christ. It does not administer the sacraments as Christ commanded in his word, but adds to them and subtracts from them as it pleases. It bases itself more on men than on Jesus Christ. It persecutes those who live holy lives according to the word of God and who rebuke the false church for its sins, greed, and idolatries. These two churches are easily recognized and distinguished from each other. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, every single good work of God is defiled because of sin and because of human pride. For example, the word church is used today to refer to all manner of groups and organizations. In some places, you can find groups of people who call themselves churches even though they don't believe in the Bible and its description of the triune God in his work. Now, if the true church would be perfect and clearly stood out from these other groups that are referred to as sects in our confession, 
then it wouldn't be so confusing for us today. But even the church that the Son of God is gathering, defending, and preserving has been influenced by the effects of the fall into sin, and so it takes some work to identify the real thing. And so we confess that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully from the Word of God what is the true church. Now, Article 29 of the Belgic Confession that we just read together is a very helpful article when one church or federation encounters another church or federation and they need to decide if they can support and help one another on the Lord's side of the spiritual battle. Can we work together with that church? Are we church together? And such a mutual conversation and evaluation of other churches, though very common in, in mission settings, is rare and occasional in North America, and it often takes place at the federation level. A more common use of Article 29 is when people are looking for a faithful church. A person is able to recognize the holy Catholic and apostolic church mentioned in Article 27 by the evidence of God's presence that can be seen in some marks. And the presence of these marks continues to be important for all believers in the church. For not only do they serve as a guard against heresy, kind of like the virus scanner on your computer that is always running in the background, but these marks also assure us of the presence of God among us today. In Article 29 is more than just a tool or an instrument of evaluation. Rather, it's a confession of faith in the kind of work that God is doing, the how God is working in the world today. And as we read the words of Article 29, our confession, as we confess these words, we are led to praise God for the glorious work of Jesus Christ who does not leave the church without clear testimony of his presence. The gospel message of our confession is that God brings real change into the hearts of believers and, and he, he, he affects the, the appearance of this gathering of his believers. He brings the reality of his promises to bear on the appearance of of his church as the Spirit is working through the Scriptures. And I preach to you this gospel under the following theme, the Lord gives evidence of his presence in the church. And we'll see the need for this evidence, the details of this evidence, and the comfort of this evidence. When you are a member of a local church in, in a particular town or, or area, you immediately understand how important a clear list of the marks of the true church can be for you, for you and your local situation. The problem that we encounter is that the church is not just an ideal or, or a concept that we talk about and imagine to exist in some invisible form among the people who we really get along with. When you become a member of a local church, the first thing that you notice is that you need to be a part, a living part of an assembly of real people who you know by name 
and you know to be sinners just like you. The things that you yourself have done and yet you're still here. The things that the people around you who, who call themselves Christians have done can be very shocking and very disappointing. And we're not just speaking about the hypocrites who are mixed in, as we confess, in the church along with the good and yet are not part of the church, though they are outwardly in it. The problem of Christ's body that we're talking about, the problems are not limited to the dandruff or the the kidney stones or the tumors uh, that are closely connected but are not a part of the body's essential character. But what makes us wonder about the church, about the local church we are in, is when we as sincere confessing Christians sin against one another. We can deal in our minds with with, with the Pharisees, the the hypocrites in the church, by simply explaining them away as, as hypocrites. But when the King Davids and the Apostle Peters commit grievous sins against us, it can make us really wonder about the church that we are in. And some of this is a result of our own sinful hearts, our inability to be gracious and patient and kind and understanding with the weaknesses of others. But there often is no way of denying that people who call themselves Christians, they do very bad things. And the Corinthians are a famous example of a church with many problems. If you're skimming through the the chapters of, of this letter, you can see that the church of Corinth struggled with divisions. We read about that in chapter one. Rejection of the apostles' authority, sexual immorality, lawsuits, marriage problems, food offered to idols, idolatry, oppression of the poor made visible even during the celebration of the Lord's Supper, disorderly worship and confusion of spiritual gifts, influence of false teachers about the resurrection, failure to financially support other churches, and general immaturity in the faith. And it would be hard to believe that this is the bride of Christ Jesus and his church. If Paul had not addressed his letter, chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then we see it. The church is not like a new car showroom that is always sparkling and clean for anyone who happens to look in. But it is more like an auto restoration shop with vehicles in all different states of disrepair. The church is a shelter and a home to broken and contrite people whom God has gathered together in his grace in order that he might heal them. And as a result, there will almost always be contradictions between confession and conduct in its members. And you yourselves know that the Christian life is a slow progression in spiritual growth along a road that includes those very 
good times that you like to speak about when your faith was so strong and those very low times that you find embarrassing. And the fact that this church, this church is made up of of sinners. Yes, even sanctified or, or righteous sinners means that we cannot use the perfection of the members as a measure of the truthfulness or the genuineness of a church. Reading through Corinthians, we we see very quickly why we need evidence of God's presence among us in marks that do not change no matter where the church is in its process of spiritual growth. So how can we know that we are investing our time and our money in God's kingdom and not in something that people have, have thrown together in some kind of sect or group. There appears to be many options around us. You drive around, you see so many churches with doors open inviting you in. And our membership in this local church is, is voluntary. So how can we be convinced that this is the true body of Jesus Christ? We need to have evidence of God's presence in this church. And we praise God that along with this warning of the presence of hypocrites and sinners within the church, God also gives us several clear indicators or marks that he is present in a local church, in in a church. We see that the details of this evidence of God's presence in the church. In his grace, God reveals in the scriptures that there are several visible marks of his presence on earth in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. If we want to use these marks, we first of all have to affirm that we believe that the scriptures are the word of God. In John 17, verse 17, when the Lord Jesus was praying for his church that was in the world but not of the world. He prayed that the Lord might sanctify them. Again, we have that word sanctify. Sanctify them in the truth. And then he explained that God's word is truth. At the beginning of his letter to the Corinthians, we read that Paul was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It was God's will that his church should be instructed through the very letter that he was writing to them, the scriptures. In the church, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth, the scriptures themselves are God-breathed. And we we read in, in 2 Timothy 3, they're useful for instruction, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In Ephesians 2, verse 20, the Holy Spirit reveals that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, another reference to the Bible as the basis. And since the Bible is the word of God, the best way to see evidence of God's presence in a church is to look for the place of the word of God in your church. Are you encouraged to use the word of God like the Bereans did in Acts 17 verse 11? to see if the instruction and discipline of your church is from the Lord. The Lord is presence where his word 
is given divine authority. The foundation, the, the basic mark underlying and determining all the other marks of a true church is given summarily in our confession when we read that the true church governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and regarding Jesus Christ as the only head. And then when the holy and divine scriptures are given authority in this church, any church, then that church will believe what we read together in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Holy Spirit guides us by the word of God as his people into the fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord. And that fellowship with Jesus Christ is what stands behind all the gospel proclamation, all the instruction, and all the discipline of the church. Is the word of God present is the first question. Is there fellowship with Jesus Christ in our church? The second question. For when Jesus Christ is the head, the local church lives in direct fellowship with him. So his presence can be seen in all, the, in all the work of the church, we see that that fellowship with Jesus Christ underlies all the other marks that we confess together in Article 29. The false church, we says, bases itself more on men than on Jesus Christ. But the church of Jesus Christ understands that, that he is, is governing in their midst through the ordained office bearers of elders and and deacons and, and ministers, and it is his word that is heard in our midst. To live in fellowship with Jesus Christ, to be a part of his body, is to have him the center of all our spiritual life. The voice of the good shepherd is heard from the pulpit, so that all those for whom he died can be led by the Spirit through the apostolic preaching of the doctrines of grace alone. For we have, so, as we have so clearly explained in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verses 17 and 18. When we live in fellowship with Christ, it's clearly proclaimed through the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper how he made it possible for us to be adopted as children of God in the covenant that God established with believers and their children, and to live in fellowship with Christ our head, who is in heaven. And so Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. When a church is living in fellowship with God's Son, then Christ's will, also toward the sinners in our midst, is evident in the loving manner of church discipline that follows the instruction of our Lord in Matthew 18, and also, as we can read about that in 1 Corinthians 5, faithful churches representing Christ with whom they have fellowship will be patient and loving even toward sinners, toward all sinners, calling them to repentance with mutual discipline. 
and correcting and punishing sinners with the prayer that they may return to this fellowship, the submission to Jesus Christ. And then we see it. Living in fellowship with Jesus Christ doesn't mean being perfect and never sinning, but it does mean that even in the midst of our sins and our struggles, people are calling upon the name of the Lord, the distinguishing feature that Paul refers to in verse 2 as he refers to churches in every place. And so evidence of God's presence in the church is seen through his word, through the, the fellowship with Jesus Christ, but then also through the fruit of his word and that fellowship with Jesus Christ in ongoing sanctification of believers. Sanctification is a word that refers to a, a spiritual growth in our lives. Spiritual growth, not perfection, is evidence of God's presence in the congregation. Though we are sinners, and we see sinners all around us, when those sinners are calling upon the name of the Lord in the midst of their great weakness, fighting against sin by the Spirit all the days of their life, and appealing constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ, that is evidence of God's Spirit among them. And our confession gives further descriptions of these marks of, of sincere, true Christians. And in your own lives as well, you can see evidence of the Spirit's working, the, the fruit of the Word of God in your fellowship with Jesus Christ. When you are fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness and loving the true God and your neighbor without turning to the right or left and crucifying your flesh and its works. In the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church of God, the Lord uses the preaching, the sacraments, and church discipline according to his word to carry us through this process of restoration, just like we might do to our old cars. He calls us to the place of healing, and then he heals us through his word and spirit. The triune God does not leave himself without testimony, without evidence in the church and in the hearts of true Christians. And so we're always able to live with the comfort of the evidence of God's presence in the church. And we see this comfort in our final point. God is present in his church where Jesus Christ is proclaimed. But our joy and our comfort then doesn't come from the church, but our joy and our comfort comes from the head of the church, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In the church, our hearts are simply lifted up to Jesus Christ. The comfort of having God with us is not that we know now that we are a true church, which is sometimes spoken with a degree of pride, but the comfort is that that means that we who are here in Christ's church can share in all his benefits. In light of the content of the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 
Paul's address to these people, the fact that he calls them church of God and saints, that's a testimony to God's grace, to the effectiveness of Christ's work, to the power of the Holy Spirit that we continue to to celebrate together as church today. The faithful church believes the preached gospel of Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God of God, as we read about that in verses 23 to 25 of 1 Corinthians 1. And as we see in this letter, as you read through it, you'll see Jesus Christ is the solution to our problems and our comfort in all sorrows and tribulations. When the Holy Spirit calls the members of Christ's church sanctified, he uses a word that makes it clear that they have passively experienced the work of the Lord in their lives. God has changed Christians because they are declared righteous in Christ by grace alone. That's a great comfort for us as believers, to be called the sanctified ones. You know that the Lord is present in your church when, when the complete Christ is preached so clearly that you never feel excluded from his love because of the sins that are in your life against your will. Never feel excluded for the things, the sins that you, you hate in your own lives and hearts. It's comforting to know that God knows that we are imperfect sinners that he chose, as we read together at the end of chapter one, he chose the weak and the lowly things in this world, the low and despised people of the, of the earth so that he might receive all glory and thanks and praise forever. The centrality of Christ in the midst of the congregation of sanctified sinners, that's evidence that God is present with his church. and People can live in peace with him. But at the same time, the introduction to the letter uh, to, to the church of God that is in Corinth doesn't suggest that we have a license or that we should ever want to be complacent or careless or negligent about a holy life. Paul addresses people who have been set apart and called by God to be saints. You can see that in verse two, called to be saints. That reminds us of Ephesians two, verse nine, where the church recognizes, and here I quote, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And it reminds us of Ephesians 4, verse 1, where the Lord urges the church to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. When God places us here in in this fellowship with his Son, in a a true and and a genuine and a faithful church, there will be fruits of our relationship with him. It will be possible to see that a person is a part of the body with Christ as head by their lives because God uses us as members of his church, as, as members of Jesus Christ, 
in the very restoration of that same church. God uses those who he has called, those whom he is healing, to also heal those around him. You could say, although we are broken cars ourselves, we are placed in the auto restoration shop of the church and yet used as instruments of God to help one another in this restoration. And so rather than accept sins and weaknesses in ourselves or in others, we're, we're called to be saints. We're, we're, we're not, we will confront sin like a true friend. We will support one another in our spiritual struggles, calling one another to be saints, not just in our words, but also in our deeds. And if we see something missing in our church, and, and I know that a lot of us can say, oh, it'd be nice if our church had this, or it would be nice if our church did this, or if we were more like this. If we ourselves see something missing in our church, called to be saints, we will take action. We will do something about it. We will, we will be comforted to know that this lack and our ability, our calling to help with it is evidence that God wants us to be in this faithful church with all its warts, with all that's missing. This evidence of our role in giving and receiving in the communion of saints, that's a great comfort for all those who are called to be saints together with those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both our, their Lord and ours. And the Lord has promised us that he loves us even in our weakness. Ephesians 5 verses 25 to 27 speaks about the relationship between Christ and his church and, and he tells us he, he loves his church even in our weaknesses, even, even as he is purifying us before God. And so we may look forward to the day of the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ when the church will be holy and blameless and without spot or blemish. In Christ and in his love, we see that day coming. And when we see the evidence of the Lord's presence among us today, even in the midst of much weakness, we may be comforted in that sure promise that one day this church, the, the church of Jesus Christ, will stand before the Lord blameless and unafraid. You, you won't be able to find anything lacking or missing or, or anything that we should be doing that we're not. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8 gives us that amazing promise that the Lord will sustain us to the end guiltless, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are comforted by Christ's enduring love for the church and that certainty that we may live with, that those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You could tell that whether or not you are in a genuine or a true church, if God's life-changing, preserving grace stands at the center of worship as, as if that reality guaranteed in Christ pulls us forward, taking each new step. The evidence of God's presence in the church today is, is a guarantee. 
that he will preserve us. He will sustain us to the end. It gives us a lot of courage to, to be strong, to persevere, to keep taking the next step. And in the end, we will see that every church that governed itself according to the word of God in the truth of the gospel will be standing before the Lord in his judgment day. Jesus Christ is the one foundation of the church. And you can see that this hymn that we sing and know so well came, uh, was based also on 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15. If you look at those verses, you can see here that there's one foundation, Jesus Christ. And then there's instruction in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15, about how you build on that foundation. Each one must be take care how he builds on that foundation. And it even says for the quality of, it's, it explains there that the quality of each man's work will be tested, will be manifest, the fire of judgment day, when it tests what sort of work each one of us has done. On that day, it will be easy to recognize and to distinguish the true and the false churches. The true churches built on the foundation of Jesus Christ living in fellowship with him at the center and those who do not have Christ at the center. Until that day, let us obey God's call to be saints together with all who call on the name of the Lord. Let us recognize Christ, one holy Catholic and apostolic church by the marks of preaching and sacraments and discipline that are based on the word of God and proclaim Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord as you see these marks that you too may be a part of this work of the Son of God, the true church. As Peter 2 verse 9 says so beautifully, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen.